Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, I need to shout out my patrons, Robert, Matthew, Brenda, Jeff, Paul, Tobias, Carol, Fernando, Justin, Matt, Robert, and Joaquin. You helped make the show possible. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on my upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my episode notes, my link tree, or by heading to patreon.com slash hn, the number two DM. Remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support local LGBTQ plus youth via Encircle. Check out my link tree for more information. And now onto this episode's guest intro. Michael, known as Dead Aussie Gamer, or just DAG, if you're pressed for time, is a DM and streamer from the west coast of Australia who's run and played in so many streamed games that he might as well be called the TTRPG Kevin Bacon. When Michael's not streaming, he's at his other job, running games for kids at his local youth center. He also played Pathfinder one time for 86 hours straight to break a record. Enjoy. My name is Michael. I'm the Dead Aussie Gamer. I'm a Australian TTRPG performer and entertainer. I spend most of my time lying to kids, basically, because uh, I am a local government worker in Australia and I specialize in running TTRPGs for young adults. That's what I do by day. By night, I am a Twitch streamer on uh, not only Twitch, but uh, other people's channels. So I've got my own Twitch. I've been on the Dungeons and Dragons Twitch page. I've been on World Anvil. I've been on Robert Hartley GM. I've been on Nerdarchy. I've been everywhere. I liken myself to that guy you watch in a movie and you have to IMDB where you know him from. That's me in the TTRPG scene, basically. Hey, I've seen him before. He's played yeah, something yeah, in some other guy, show, you know. And I always say this, you know, you know that guy in like Real Steel who plays the cowboy villain. He also played the Blob in the Wolverine movie, that really bad one. That's me for TTRPGs, basically. It's just this guy. Who you're like, what is his name? I bet you're thinking that right now. Whoever's listening, yeah. I was trying to think of a well-known actor, or not well-known, but like one who's just played a lot of roles like that but i'll think of one later probably in the middle of the night when i should be sleeping all right so very cool very cool you you show up in a lot of places so tell us how you got into tabletop role-playing games and then maybe if you wanted to tell us about how you made it a career too that'd be great so my story began in a very epic way and i remember the exact date i started playing ttrpgs it's a, it's a very rare thing because a lot of people, like, you know, they remember their first game, they remember their first GMs and stuff like that. For me, it was actually during what was known as the Great Hailstorm of 2010 in Perth, uh, West uh. Australia, which is my hometown. The sky literally turned green and lightning was crashing down. We had hail for the very, very first time because, you know, I don't know if you've heard, Australia's a bit hot. We don't often get hail. Yeah, streets were flooded and cars were just basically banged up from all the hail. And that was actually the first day I started playing TTRPGs. My partner at the time, who uh, is still with me after 13 years, had told me about Dungeons & Dragons so many times. And I was a video gamer at the time. And I was not interested in learning math. I was like, no, why would I want to do this when I could you know, play my video games and the like? And she then tempted me by... You know, summoning a storm, turning off the power, the lights, making it so I couldn't go outside or call friends. And basically, I had no choice but to play Dungeons and Dragons. And it was my first time. And honestly, I was hooked immediately. It was an incredible adventure. It was actually a side adventure that came with the Pool of Radiance video game, the very old one. And uh, she ran us through it from start to finish. And I had an absolute blast. I just started devouring book after book as soon as I'd finished. And Next thing I know, I'm running my own game, I'm playing, I'm just addicted to this amazing creative outlet. Something about me is I like to try a lot of things. I have a very short attention span when it comes to activities, you know, like I've done almost every sport you can conceivably think of, except that weird Irish sport that's kind of like lacrosse, but for very violent people. And, you know, I'd get to a certain point and then I'd be done. Same thing with video games, you know, I'd play a fighting game up to a point, then I'd be done. I'd play a shooting game up to a point, then I'd be done. 
But role-playing games were just so adaptive and evolved as you played them and as you grow and as you learn and changed with the players and the stories. I was never bored. And even after 13 years, I've never been bored playing TTRPGs. For me, it was a calling. It was a sign that that was what I needed to do and that's what I wanted to do. And I, I, yeah, I threw myself into it. It went from being a hobby very sharply to being a profession. Yeah, good thing your partner took a few levels of Druid there. Otherwise, the world would not know Dead Aussie Gamer. Very true, very true. And you can actually look up some of the pictures too. I highly recommend it. Perth Hailstorm 2010. Did it look like snow because there was so much of it? If you look at photos, it was more like something straight out of an HP Lovecraft book. The skies were green. It was like freaking, you know, summoning of elder gods were basically happening all over my, my city. Yeah, very proud of my origin story. I mean, how do you top that? Like freaking the summoning of an elder god. So good. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. I've never seen the green sky thing, but growing up in Colorado on the east side of the Rockies, a few tornadoes and then a lot of hail actually during the summer, usually uh, when it was hot. So kind of weird, like you're describing, but there'd be so much hail that it would look like drifts of snow. You know, there's like enough hail to cover the ground. Very cool, though. An act of God uh, bringing you to your ultimate fate. Well, you know, I was also very grateful uh, that my partner didn't give up on me for that. I was very belligerent as a kid. And yeah, she she stuck by it and, and got me to play. And, and look at me now. Uh, she She still has like these moments of like, what have I done? I liked D&D. And now Michael is playing games with like my legitimate heroes from the TTRPG scene and like knows them and has them on speed dial. And like, uh, if you ever watch the movie Gamers, Darkness Rising is one of my favorite movies of all time. By the way, if you haven't checked it out, it's by Dead Gentleman, now Zombie Orpheus Entertainment. Wonderful movie. And there's a character in it who's the GM and plays a paladin character. And this is one of my partner's favorite characters. And the actor who played that character is uh, is Nathan Rice. It blows her mind that not only do I know Nathan, Nathan attended one of my seminars at Gen Con about like how to make money or how to make revenue in the TTRPG Twitch streaming space. We became close friends and we're close enough that like we send each other like greeting cards all the time. And we're, you know, like um, a couple of months ago, um, one of my, my pets passed away and Nathan sent me a really sweet message, like, you know, checking in to see if I was okay. And it still till this day blows her mind that it's like, when did that happen? When did this person go from being like one of my favorite actors to my, my boyfriend's like, you know, someone my boyfriend can very casually chat with? <laughs> well, I guess you said you did a lot of different things, but you really dug deep quickly. So that's impressive. Yeah. It has been fun to kind of talk to my players at my table like, oh, yeah, I'm having so-and-so on the show. And they wrote this adventure that we played. It's not like I, I just want to get up and brag about all the things I've done. But yeah, it is it is really cool, the connections you make, right? And I think it's really fun when uh, you meet those people and they're really nice and really easy to get along with. And I guess when you meet your heroes and they're not jerks is is always refreshing. So Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I um, Actually, that brings me very nicely to how I became a professional TTRPG gamer and streamer and all that. So basically, after I'd, I'd gotten into the hobby and stuff like that, I used to work as an engineer in a soils tech thing. It was just more of a menial job than anything else. It was menial work. And I was a trained actor, performer, entertainer. I'd done a bunch of stage shows. But I'd recently, to that point, been diagnosed with severe photosensitivity. And hmm. stage lights were actually triggering these incredible migraines and I actually couldn't be under them for very long. And it got to the point where I had exacerbated it to where I couldn't even go outside. I had medication, I had therapy and stuff like that. So I had to eventually pull away from performing arts and stuff like that, took on the, the engineering job, and it was soul crushing. It was very unfulfilling. I then got told that a young guy was going to take over my position because he was cheaper than me and I was infuriated. They actually had the audacity to ask me to train this guy. So I was like, you know what? Nah, I'm good. You can train him. Bye. And I left. And I had no prospects. I had no, no way to go. And I went to my local youth center and said, look, the only skill I've got is running TTRPGs. And they said, what's that? And I then went ham. I did the, I did the, I did the, the talky talky thing. You know, I always liken it to that situation in Finding Nemo where they're talking to the turtle. 
It's like, you're so cute, but we have no idea what you're saying. And they eventually said, we're going to pay you to run a program. The one they said, like, hey, we're going to hire you to do this. I went, yes, please. Thousand time yes. I've been there now for seven years, and I'm now one of the most successful programs running out of that location. I have upwards of 30 to 40 young people coming through and playing games at the center, you know, doing all sorts of cool things. And I've always been super grateful for it. Now, I came across a situation that I could not handle, and I had no idea how to deal with it. I won't tell you what the situation was. It's very long-winded and very drama-y, but, you know. So I reached out to one of my heroes, one of the people who I'd seen a lot in the TTRPG scene at the time, uh, and that is Guy from How to Be a Great GM. I love Guy. When, when people say, like, oh, Matt Mercer got me into TTRPGs, and, you know, Matthew Colville got me into TTRPGs, mm-hmm. that's one mm-hmm. thing. Now, Guy, when I say Guy got me into where I am right now, I mean he literally got me into where I am right now. So I met up with Guy and I said, hey, listen, I'm having this problem with some of my kids. I really need help. I don't think I can navigate this very sensitive social situation without someone's help. Uh, He said, I'm too busy. And I said, I got 65 bucks for an hour of your time. And he says, okay, what do you need? So we we chatted for what was a couple of hours and we just clicked. We we got on like a house on fire. We talked about D&D. We talked about all this cool stuff. And then he invited me to play in his private game. So I did. It sounded like a lot of fun. You know, I, I ran a ton of games and hadn't had many opportunities to play. He thought I was fantastic. And we got on even better once we started role playing together. And he invited me to star in The Adventures of the Windswift, which was his uh, continuation of his series, The Bacon Battalion. It was amazing. It was so much fun. I had a wonderful cast. It was my first foray back into acting and performing work. Because by that stage, I was like recovering from my sense of photosensitivity and the stage lights of like a studio weren't as aggressive as in a theater. It showed me for the very, very first time that I could do something. I could do something with all the acting and performance work that I had. And I didn't need to give up on that dream. And Guy was the one who showed that to me. After we got to, I think, season three of Adventures of the Windswift, Guy started moving around. We started... um I wouldn't say drifting apart, but it's more like we started having different time zones. So we stopped being able to like coordinate very much. Was he in Japan when you met up first and then he moved back to the UK? Or uh, No, he was in South Africa when I first oh, met okay. him. Uh, then he went to Japan. Then he went to the uh-huh. US. Then he went back to Japan. Then he went back That's to right, South Africa. US. Then he went back to... Yeah, he went back to Japan for a little bit longer. And then he went back to... Uh, when he went to England and now he's in London. So... <laughs> that boy traveled international man of mystery he is he is like it's like where in the world is guy Sklanders? like you know it's just it's where it is <laughs> uh, so, so anyway uh once we got to the end of that series guy looked me in straight in the eye and said start your own channel and i did and then he said start doing stuff on twitch i'm going to do stuff on twitch and i want you you to do stuff as well and i did and it's basically my relationship with guy and my channel i wasn't actually the one who even came up with the idea of my channel it was Guy who suggested I, I take it to an online space, and I did. And uh, I, st- I thrived. I, uh, I mean, it's a very small and very slow-growing channel that I run. But I, I get to, again, perform in a bunch of different channels more than have my own, like, I don't have, like, a space where people come and it's like, ah, oh, this is, like, critical role. You know, if you go to my channel, you'll just hang out with me. That's mm-hmm. what you get. So, yeah, that was what kicked it all off, meeting my hero and then having him just truly believe in me was like one of the most formative things of me as a performer. Because now, many years later, that's all I want to do for people is all I want to do is I want to support them. I want to encourage people to step into the TTRPG streaming space. I mean, a lot of people have asked me to like mentor them during their their formative Twitch days. And we're not talking about just people who are like, oh, can you please raid my channel? And it's like, I can, but I've got 20 people watching. Uh, you know? It's more like, you know, hey, how do you do this? Or, or, you know, what are some of the you know things to look out for? And I always feel like that's me passing on that good nature that I was very fortunate to receive very early on. Yeah, paying it forward. Yeah. Hmm. The guy is a really nice person. And I mean, anyone who, who was willing to kind of take the time and chat with me on my show, I consider a nice person just because that's a nice thing to do. But Yeah, he was particularly um, nice to me and very gracious, you know, as I was gushing to him off mic about how much I loved his video series and and how much it kind of influenced my early days uh, running games, too. So what a guy. And uh, knowing that he did that for you doesn't surprise me in the least bit. No, 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 not at all. I actually got to play with him again this um, this Saturday past. We did a big marathon and uh, I finally managed to pin him down for another game and he 
did his usual thing. Like he is a spectacular performer and role player as well as GM. Though, if you do watch any of our series, believe it when you say you can tell how close me and Guy are because almost every chance he gets, he tries to wipe my character from existence. The start of uh, of one of our shows, I was on the gallows and I got hung. Another, I got shot. No, not we were in a ship battle. My ship wasn't being targeted. It was my character being targeted by the ship cannons. Uh, another one, giant dwarven ship lands on my character. It just continues onwards. I even made one for a podcast. And I was like, there's no way, no way this character can die. Because he reads comic books and he stays in the car. It's a sci-fi adventure. As long as I have this car, I'll be fine. A few minutes later, the car flips. Car explodes. And now I'm just a fat Jamaican dude walking in the desert with a stack of comic books. With no gun, no formal military training or survival training. And I'm just like... God damn it. <laughs> I will have to see if I can go find that. In fact, I'll ask you for the link and I'll put it in the notes so that anyone can go check it out too. Cool. All right. So you've given us a, a great intro into kind of how you got into the stuff that you do. Uh, I would love to know what you feel like are some of the big mistakes you've made while running games. If you feel like there are differences between the home games and the streamed games and then the third group, the games you run for the youth center. As far as my branding goes, I always tell people this. I'm a great GM, not because I woke up one day and suddenly was super talented. For me, I run and play about 10 to 15 games a week, and I have done so for the last seven or eight years now. I have made more mistakes than I think some people will ever try playing games of Dungeons and Dragons. And so when I say this, I mean this in all earnest. Every mistake I make is something that helps me grow and helps me become a better GM, better role player. And I don't know if I could ever list them in terms of, you know, worst because in my my own way mistakes aren't bad. They're not something that, you know, you the worst mistake you make is the greatest opportunity for you to learn something. So I've never really put them in that regard. I've had sessions where I've had players get up and walk off the table. I've had moments where I've stood up and left the room. I've even had live streams where the actual player and cast have been just entirely toxic. I had to have massive debriefs at the end of each one with a friend of mine just because I was borderline crying at the end of each of these sessions. These are just like massive events that have happened and you can definitely label it like a bunch of mistakes to those things but every single one of them i focus more on like you know what i've learned from it as for the difference between the the mistakes made at a home game i think the biggest mistake people make is burnout and not recognizing it because we often associate our home game with our social obligations to maintain friendships but when we do that how much of your day is actually spent socializing with the people at the table, right? How often do you get into your own head and go, I'm running a game, I'm running a story, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I need to make sure that everyone's immersed. And you know, what kind of social situation involves you having that constant mindset from beginning to end of the interaction, right? I mean, other than like a party where you invite tons of different people from different friend groups and you've got to be like moving between all of them to make sure everyone's having a good time. I can't think of another thing that I'd consider using as much brain power as running a mm. game like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I always recommend like if you're running a home game, have like a half an hour or an hour where you're like having dinner and just catching up with these people. Then at the end, have like a debrief of like half an hour or so. Always give yourself that wiggle room. For no yeah. other reason than you don't want your social relationship to fall into the obligation category where you're obliged to run a game so that everyone can have fun. And then that's all you're really catching up with people for. As for the youth center stuff, honestly, the youth center constantly challenges me. And that's one of the reasons why I'm, I've been there for so long. Kids are a whole other social dynamic. You have some kids who are just super energetic and just want to in interact and involve themselves with anything. You have other kids who are so shy that they can't speak and they, they don't really want to step up to the plate. You have some kids who are really tolerant of the people next to them and help them out. And you have some kids who just get outwardly frustrated and get really antsy at people for taking too long on their turn. It's always evolving. It's always changing. 
I think the biggest mistake I made was not knowing how to introduce a girl to the group in a way that made the girl feel comfortable enough to stay long term. It's not to say that the boys were gross and or you know like they were being inappropriate or anything like that, but running the game as I ran it normally, which you know like I'm not saying that you know I run games that are gender specific or anything like that. I run very you know typical agnostic you know kind of boom, this is just the game. But I felt as though because I don't have that opportunity to focus on what I need to do to introduce a young woman to TTRPGs that I feel feel like I missed a few opportunities. And those for me would be my biggest mistakes, as it were. Ever since then, I've actually done a few different things for my um, my own approach to when a young girl does come to my program. I refer them to a couple of female performers, Amy Vorpal. There's a friend of mine, uh, AJ Winters, who's actually in Perth as well. I'll often use these very, very strong female personalities as an example over myself and say, hey, if you really enjoyed the game, go check out these people because these people uh, are also really cool and really fun. That's helped a lot because, you know, sometimes, and I mean this to all GMs, sometimes the answer is not something you can give. And it's okay for that. It's okay to, you know, like sort of maneuver things so that, you know, someone who is more appropriate can help cater to those needs. Yeah, that's awesome. And there are so many good examples of people out there who do a fantastic job and who play strong and incredible complex characters that you can point people towards. So that's awesome. As far as some of your favorite moments from games of yours, do you have any in particular that come to mind? Really fun, epic moments that you remember vividly, and it could be from home games or streams or or whatever. That's a rough one. I've got so many of them. I'm going to go with two. One as a player, one as a GM. As a player, one of my favorite moments was a character I played who was a plague doctor. And he spent a lot of time rebuffing the idea of magical healing, saying that one day some super virus is going to get out. It's going to be magic resistant and society will collapse because we rely too heavily on magical healing. Magical resistance. Yeah, he was super fervent about that, medicine and yada, yada, yada. And I remember we had this one instance where this character was being attacked by giants, whole group was, we were all being wounded, all being injured, and we had no cleric because, of course, this character wouldn't allow any clerics to travel with us. We had two giants remaining, and it was like a mom, a dad, and a kid. We managed to slay the the young giant, as it were. And uh, this was it. You know, the next round, we were all going to die. I looked down at my sheets. I sat there and I was analyzing everything, thinking about any possible answers. And it hit me, right? I, I climbed up onto the child and I, I mean, grotesquely cut off its head, presented it to the two giants. The two giants were enraged. They charged straight at me and provoked attacks of opportunity from every single party member, which wiped out the two giants before they got to me. And that was the moment I realized clever. you can play TTRPGs and not roll a single dice. And that became one of my missions is like, how many times can I solve a problem without rolling a dice? If I can solve something without rolling, amazing. And that just makes me feel feel awesome. Makes me feel accomplished. Yeah. Obviously, it removes the chance of failure if you can do that, right? It does take some cooperation from uh, your DM or GM. But yeah, when you can pull it off, it's one of my favorite things when my players fool me or, or, you know, pull a fast one on me and think of something I haven't accounted for and then solve my problem that I presented them with. I don't know. Those are the fun moments, right? Those are the moments where it's just like a total out of uh, left field or a total U-turn from what you're expecting. And it's like, oh, this is crazy. Absolutely. I think as a GM, my favorite moment that I can remember, and you're not allowed to tell him this, and he's not allowed to watch this podcast or listen to this podcast, was Robert Hartley's reaction to an event that we did uh, in an episode of Sirens and Silver that we we ran. I've been working very, very hard uh, on this 12 episode series as a pirate campaign. and, And Rob's character is like this embodiment of like, you know, this warlock with the fathomless deep, you know, kind of patron. He'd been slowly but surely building up his fall and his descent into further and further madness uh, at the behest of this creature. And in the last episode, that manifested in a very physical way. 
to see the joy that that Robert had at that moment, the moment where, you know, like a twist had occurred and it was unveiling and unfolding before him. Like, you know, it was just one of these very rewarding moments where I sat there and I was just like, this is what I'm chasing. This is what I'm looking for. This is why I GM. I GM because uh, without sounding weird, you take a knife, you stab your finger, you feel pain. To think that you could use words to create almost the same kind of physical reaction in a mm. D&D space is mm-hmm. such a powerful thing. And for me, when I get to see a physical reaction from my players from something that was just said, for me, is just like, I've done it. You're in this space. You're there. Uh, you're feeling it. You're going for it. I've done it many times, but that's definitely the most recent one and the one I, I definitely treasure at the moment the most. So, uh, Robert, you can start listening again. You can unblock your ears, mate. And now a word from How Not to DM's sponsors. Let's start off with Gemmed Firefly. Need a fresh look for the new year? Head on over to gemmedfirefly.com for the newest tees, mugs, and home goods styled with D&D gamer humor and aesthetics. As always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all of the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. Listeners of the show get a discount when you use the code DRAGON at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at gemmedfirefly.com now. And All Flex No Dex. All Flex No Dex is an actual play D&D 5e podcast set in the isolated world of Apia. The adventure takes place in the Valley of the Sunrise where the magic is heavy and the dragons are plentiful. The adventurers must follow the leads to find the shards of Tiamat before her minions can. Otherwise, she will be summoned and the world will fall to ruin. Come join the adventure of heroes, wild magic, dragons, and crude humor wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the episode notes for a link. And next, Tall Grass Encounters. Are you a fan of Pokemon and tabletop role-playing games? Do you ever wish they came together in one spot? Boy, do we have the podcast for you. Tall Grass Encounters follows a Pokemaster and five brave trainers as they explore Hakino, uncovering mysteries and making new friends along the way. Join the fun on Spotify and Apple Podcasts today, and follow TGE on Twitter for a chance to help build your very own NPC. And lastly, podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. Are you a podcaster or video content creator who loves making awesome content but wishes you spent less time editing and more time doing the things you love? Check out podcasteditors.online or videoeditors.online to see their awesome rates and editing offerings. Buy a few hours a la carte or purchase bulk hours for larger projects. Let them tackle the boring stuff so you can get back to making more awesome content. Check out the links in the episode notes for both podcasters and video creators. And now, let's return to the show, starting up with a brand new minigame for Season 2. Welcome to Quickfire Chaos! This week on Quickfire Chaos, Michael and I roll some dice to create a random role-playing scenario from some D100 tables online. The way this works is you're going to roll on these four different tables that's going to tell you some information about an NPC and then what quest the NPC is looking to have done. And then I'm going to roleplay some random character who will show up and then ask you, uh, hey, I've noticed the quest that you put on the board or, you know, so-and-so told me that you needed something done and then you've got to send us on the quest and kind of fill in the blanks about why you need us to do this thing and and what it's for and where we can find it, blah, 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 that kind of thing. So yeah, just meant to be like two minute little snapshot of role play to kind of show off your skills. All right, let's do it. Okay, here we go. My first number is 35. Sometimes repeats a word in their sentence like a skaven. I don't know what a skaven is, but I'm just going to say you sometimes repeat words in your sentences. So the next one is 25. Okay, your job is a rat catcher. (laughs) Kind of (laughs) crazy. Okay. Uh, Last thing is your personality. Eight. Audacious, recklessly bold, in defiance of convention, propriety, law, or the like. Insolent, brazen, disobedient. Wow. Okay. A lot of good synonyms in there. 
lastly, the fetch quest on which you will send us, or me. 69. Nice. Nice. A potion. You are looking for a particular potion. I'll let you decide what the potion is and why you need it. I've played a bunch of wizards and paladin fighter-y types, so I'm going to do a druid this time. So I'll be in like a long brown cloak, and I'll have a gnarled staff with leaves growing out of it. You know, typical druid things. Okay. You find yourself in an old apothecary. The smell of licorice and herbal remedies seem to permeate through the air as you uh, speak to what looks to be a uh, very, very red-eyed rat person. Patches of uh, fur missing from their limbs as you uh, as you kind of look him up and down, but uh, coated in the leathered, oiled garbs of an, uh, an alchemist of some kind. Hmm. An assortment of potion bottles dress the table in front of him as he looks to you with his beady eye. Come to see. Yes, yes, come to see. Step, step, step forward. Step forward. Hmm. Tell, tell, what is, what is name? What is, what is name? Uh, yes, I am Madville of Not the important. Forest. Sorry? I need something. Come, come close. Yes, yes. It needs death bell lotus. Yes, magical potions. Kills many. All will die. Might be slightly illegal. Slightly. Slightly. Ah, so... Uh, this is something we should acquire through uh, back channels, is what you're saying, <laughs> dear friend. No, no back channels. Back channels, people talk, people talk, shh. Then they will find I. Find I is bad. You, you must journey to the withering woods. There, seek out the old one. The old one, she has her ways. Yes. And she uh, can provide us with this death knell lotus which you seek. What? No! No! She knows where you, you can find. Yes. yes bring uh, back, sorry. Bring back death knell. But be careful. Do not touch, do not smell, and definitely do not eat. Hmm. Do you have some sort of container in which we might place this sample so that we don't unwittingly poison ourselves? Yes, yes, yes! What do you take I for? He pulls out a bucket and places it. Uh, do you have a lid? Uh, I notice some of your nice glassware with corks, perhaps? <sighs> he looks at the glass and uh, he sort of does this twiddly motion with his fingers uh, as he miserly reaches for, for one of the uh, the large bottles. He prepares to put it in the bucket, then stops and looks at you. He puts it down and then picks up a small triangular bottle, about half its size, and then mm. goes to put it down and then stops and looks at you. He puts it back down and he takes out a test tube and eventually he puts the test tube into the bucket as well. Is, th is this how much you need? Will this be sufficient? Yes, yes, yes. Even one small drop could kill a whole city. <laughs> well, uh, we shall take the utmost care then. And uh, I assure you we shall return your glassware. I notice you seem quite uh, attached. Uh, anyway, yes, yes. Uh, what is your name, good sir? If we may need to tell uh, the ancient or uh, wise one of the withering woods. Call me. Phyllis. Uh, Phyllis, yes. Uh, thank you, old chap. Uh, it's been something. Uh, we will return with this death knell. Uh, what can we expect uh, as payment? 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 Yes, yes, payment. Hmm. He looks at the um, at the wall behind him. He then takes out this glowing red potion. Inside is this swirling pearlescent liquid uh, that gives off a strong magic aura. He takes it down and looks at it, then looks over his shoulder at you, then looks at the potion, then looks back at you, places it back on the shelf. <laughs> he then moves down to the smaller potions and eventually opens up a small drawer where he pulls out a clay pot. He says, this pot Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, what does it do? Ah, you see, 
pot always full. Yes, yes, the pot is always full. If you pour from this end, you have acid. You pour from this end, honey. Don't confuse the two. I, I, I believe I can tell the difference by sight and smell, yes. Uh, well, this is quite the item. Uh, I think we have come to an accord, my friend. Yes, yes. He uh, reaches out this kind of sweaty, very, very scaly palm towards you. Uh, he only has three fingers and a gnarled thumb. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll uh, I'll go in for the shake then, and then uh, uh, as we're leaving, like <laughs> wipe my robes, wipe it off on my robes, and, and uh, plan to clean it off later. Very well. As you uh, leave the store, you hear this. As he says. Nice fellow. Shame he's going to die. <laughs> As he oh. continues. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't know what I expected. Uh, perhaps I should, as a druid, make sure that I'm not committing mass genocide with what, with what I'm doing. But, you know, you got to get gold where you can. Sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's better to, uh, to provide a, uh, a rat catcher with uh, a potentially town-destroying potion than it is to uh, not be able to eat that night. Yes, yes. Cost-benefit analysis. All right, so let's transition to some of your work within the space and your professional uh, work as well. So first of all, reading through your Patreon page, you started off with Ask a Pathfinder uh, as a Facebook page as kind of like your very first introduction into, I guess we can call it creatorhood. Tell us kind of how you started there and how it has evolved into what you're doing now. Honestly, Oscar Pathfinder was was sort of a dead end. It started out entirely because um, my work with the kids and stuff like that, as well as some troublesome players here and there, uh, led me to answer very dumb questions all the time at my table. <laughs> Eventually, I just got so frustrated that I started writing a blog about these questions. People would ask me a question, I would give them an answer, and I would write a whole thing about it. And then I would say, never ask me this again. I don't want to hear that question go read the blog. And they did. And eventually these blogs slowly sort of became like these kind of little articles, some fun little games that I kind of ran. I did like just a bunch of stuff that made me happy and of course entertained the small community that I was with. It was around the time that I was doing that that, you know, the whole stuff with Guy happened. And I was Oscar Pathfinder for quite some time. It wasn't until Guy got offered to do a show for the Dungeons and Dragons official Twitch channel. He reached out to me and he basically said, I want to invite you as a cast member, but obviously for D&D, you can't invite someone called Ask a Pathfinder. So a few months prior, I did a huge rebrand because as much as I love Paizo, I love Pathfinder. They weren't supporting my channel in any tangible way. You know, I appreciate like free modules here and there, but I can't pay my rent off free modules. And D&D was willing to pay me for my actual time as a performer. So, so I left Ask a Pathfinder behind which I hope hadn't burnt too many bridges you know, for the Pathfinder side, because like I said, I love, love Pathfinder, and uh, I still do. But yeah, so once I, once I left that behind, I took on the Dead Aussie Gamer name. For me, Oscar Pathfinder is a very apt example of what Pathfinder was like at the time for me as a content creator. I wanted to create content that people needed, something that wasn't necessarily easily accessible, and Pathfinder... First edition was kind of, in a lot of ways, prohibitive in terms of how much you needed to know to really dive into Pathfinder. So Ask a Pathfinder just made sense, not only as a name, but as what I was doing. But yeah, I, I kind of likened it to like running around with a fire extinguisher going, it's not that bad. Shh. You know, it's, it's actually really cool. It's really fine. Just some people are really crap. You know, and that was basically it. I don't regret moving on. Neither do I regret the time I spent focused on Pathfinder stuff. It gave me a lot more insight into other systems. So now I don't just have a D&D game. I don't just have a Pathfinder game. I look at tons of indie games, some non-D20 games, even non-dice-based TTRPGs as well. It opened up my, I guess, repertoire to start from a place that wasn't necessarily D&D and evolve into who I am now. Very cool. Someone told me that you hold the unofficial record for the longest TTRPG game. Uh, so <laughs> tell us, why? Why did you do this? 
what game was it and uh how did it go you know what was that experience like i don't even remember why i decided to do it was there another record out there i guess to start not for ttrpgs so the previous record was set at 80 hours which was the one that i was competing against and i believe it was for something called the goose game it was just basically this roll of dice and move this goose around the board and they did that for like 80 hours which was insane to me but I petitioned them to do a uh, world's longest TTRPG, but they wanted it as the board game stuff. So I decided to represent, and I ran a Pathfinder Adventure module, Rise of the Rune Lords, which is probably one of my favorite Pathfinder modules, and it's one that I've run so many times, I knew it like the back of my hand. I did all the prep work. I, I found out you know, like roughly how long I'd be able to run this game. I put together a team of wonderful people who I knew I could spend that period of time with, and it was pretty much off and running. I guess for me, I wanted to do something that was different, something that not many people, if any, could be able to achieve, you know? And I treated it like a Guinness World Record attempt. I didn't sort of go, I'm just going to rock up on the day and just play games. We had like six months of training, diets, sleep measurements. I visited a uh, an actual training. college of sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, we actually had to do the whole like training for it because it's just so ludicrous to me. <laughs> Absolutely. I think the hardest bit was the dieting because basically we all had to, with the exception of one person, had to basically cut down our sugar intake by a substantial amount because we intended to do a secondary boost in the last 12 hours with sugar being introduced and it would have a higher impact if we didn't have a tolerance to those sugar boosts already yeah. in our system. So yeah, it was just like lots of little things like that. I found out that like at the 90 hour mark is when really bad side effects start to happen. So that's why I set it at the 86 hour mark. I was like, 86 hours is good. We've got like four hours to, you know, go and, you know, like basically collapse wherever we happen to be. But yeah, that was, that was the origins of where it began. The experience itself was surreal is the only way I can describe it. There were so many ups and downs. It was like, I mean, honestly, you can make a movie out of it. You know, started off really strong. One of the players decided that we didn't need to take our schedule break. We could just plow on and kind of janked up our timing a little bit, which is one of the things, wishes we had with uh, with some of the paperwork later on was, you know, we scheduled these breaks for a very good reason. That threw off our timing a little bit. And then at some point or another, I lost my voice partway through. And so I had to actually get like some really super strong throat numbing agent to like continue onwards. By the time we hit like the hour 70, I think, there's footage of me literally just on my feet swaying and running games with my eyes closed. I'm fairly sure that I entered like this kind of Zen Nirvana state where I was just running the game off like autopilot. I could not honestly tell you what happened, but there was even a moment where I sat there and I realized like, you know those cartoons where that guy like sits on a mountain and then you see the sun just sort of you know, whiz past. Yep. So we had a skylight that was above where we were playing. Like it was a huge skylight. And I'm not joking. I was watching it move. It felt like that. It felt like I was just watching just time move past. It was nuts. It was very, very nuts. How long did it take you to recover after doing that to yourself? Also, I did the math just because I know a bunch of people like me are going to be interested. Three and a half days, roughly. So yeah, I disappeared for three days almost three days. I think I woke up just to go to the bathroom, have a shower, and that was about it. But beyond that, like apparently um, my partner couldn't wake me up to eat properly for those two <laughs> days. Like She basically sat me up and fed me uh, noodles, uh, which was very kind of her. And uh, that was basically it. It's like, no, no, Michael, you need to eat stuff. But that was also one of the big things as well was that we had an amazing support staff that I had organized with a bunch of people. So we had people who were bringing us food and making sure everything was prepped and making sure that everyone was staying healthy and hydrated. Uh, we had a medical officer who was there as well, ensuring that we all had what we needed because one of our players also was diabetic as well. When I say it was a legit attempt, I mean, like, I didn't mess about. Like, it was a 100% legit Guinness World Record attempt, and nothing frustrates me more than the fact that what brought us down ultimately was the paperwork more than anything else, which is why it still remains the unofficial record for uh, world's longest uh, board game because yeah, 85 hours is not 86. It's very close, though. And by the way, I, I want to say this, though. Those guys who currently have the 80-hour record, uh, sorry, the 85-hour record, 
honestly, I 100% have mad respect. I know what it takes to get there. My friend has always been trying to get me to play the Dune board game, so I'm going to have to tell him only if we play for 87 hours, um, and we'll oh, see beautiful. what he says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You've mentioned a few. You've kind of done some name dropping as we've been talking, but uh, you've played with a ton of different talented people in your time uh, in the kind of streaming space, including some past How Not to DM guests who you've mentioned, Robert Hartley, um, Guy Sklanders. So who have been some of your favorite people, maybe other than those two, to share the table with so far? And then maybe one or two people who you would love to play with who you haven't gotten to yet. I think my favorite person to play with at the moment is Quincy from Quincy's Tavern. Like I love Quincy so very much like next to Robert and dread who are my members of my stream team. I would say that probably then my next favorite person to play with is Quincy. Like if Quincy asked me to do anything, I'd be like, yeah, they're, they're in a heartbeat. He's just got this wonderful synergy with my particular play style. Doesn't matter what we're doing. I know we're in for a good time. I think following that, I'd say that, the team from Perception Studios, which are a, uh, a cast of Felton friends who uh, play D&D, these guys are also very, very performance-heavy. They're hilarious. They're just so much fun. Again, we can't tell Cucumber I said this, but but Cucumber is definitely always a riot, and I always end up laughing more than I ever intend to at games that he's in. As for who I'd like to play with, who I haven't yet, probably top of that list, tippy-tip top of that list, is... I would really like to play with Becca Scott and Matthew Lillard. I think those two mm. would just be a whole lot of fun to play with. I'm trying not to say Matt Mercer and Brendan Lee Mulligan because that's an everyone answer. It's like it's like when someone says, how do you kill a vampire? You you kind of stake them through the heart. And it's like, yeah, but who doesn't that kill? <laughs> yeah, I've always wondered about that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, look, I mean, those two are very obviously, they are very, very talented and the like. Honestly, I think more than anything, I'd like to GM for them, not necessarily mm. like play with them. Like, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'd love to play with them, but like, I'd love to GM for them. And I think the other one. Oh, 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 um, freaking uh, Terry Crews. Yes, 100%. Oh, Terry Crews. Good I'd answer. I'd love to play with Terry Crews. Oh, my God. That'd like, be so yes. fun. Oh, that, yeah, that would just be a fun time. Flat out. Like, yeah. Terry brings the fun. I love that. Yes, Terry Crews, Becca Scott, and Matthew Lillard. Yeah, those are good my, answers. My top three. Yep. I will accept those answers. Cool. If you had to boil down your best advice for people running games, system agnostic and, you know, situation agnostic, what are kind of like the one or two pearls of wisdom you have for people out there to encourage them and give them advice? I tell this to everyone, especially streamers, because I think this is the single most important thing you can give to people. Your current game will never get any better than it is right this second. The previous game you have played will always be worse than the one you're running now, and your next one will always be better. Never forget that, because we can sometimes criticize so heavily on what we've done wrong and how miserable things are, but it's a fleeting moment. A single game does not define how we are as a game master or how we are as a player. If you see something that you think you can grow from, grow from it. You know, don't get attached to it. Don't try to find reasons and rationale for why things went wrong. Accept that something went wrong and make a difference. In the future, do better. And always remember that your past is somewhere that you've traveled from, not where you still are. You're not just spinning your wheels. Every game adds to you as a role player. I love it. And honestly, a big part of the reason why I started the show, right, is to learn from people and, and to try to just get a little bit better every time you're running games. So awesome. Last but not least, where can people find you, interact with you online? And then do you have any cool upcoming streams or projects that you want to share? My name is Michael. I'm the Dead Aussie Gamer. You can find me on twitch.tv slash Dead Aussie Gamer, where I run a variety of different shows for uh, Patreons of my channel. And uh, you can also find me on a whole bunch of different shows throughout the internet. It is honestly e easier to Google me. But if you want to see some of my best work, I've recently done a marathon game, 12-hour session with Robert Hartley GM and the Dreaded GM, who you can find me there quite frequently. I'm also one of the stars of Ghosts of Saltmarsh, Call of the Kraken, Descent into Avernus, Blood Wars, and of course, The Adventures of the Windswift, as well as Broken World Chronicles, etc., 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 a whole bunch of other stuff. Again, Google is your friend. 
if you want to come and hang out with me, come check out my Twitch channel because uh, we do a lot of audience interaction materials. Uh, a lot of the uh, the stuff we do is just going to involve you coming and just enjoying everything that we love about TTRPGs. Amazing. Thanks so much for taking the time, Michael. It's been awesome to get to know you a little bit better and learn about all of the cool and, and crazy things that you've done. And uh, yeah, I, I know uh, it's not easy to find time in a busy schedule like yours because you're literally doing stuff all the time. But yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into the final guest of How Not to DM Season 2, Tanya DePass. Yeah, it's just been a wild ride of of learning how to put a show together, all the moving parts you don't think about for an actual play, because my streaming experience up until that point was just video games. I'd get on, either be on my console, be on PC, stream a game, do whatever. There's a lot more moving parts in terms of streaming an actual play show. And uh, being in a studio versus at home are two big differences. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I've learned a lot. One is it's really expensive to do an actual play show. And a lot of people don't seem to realize that, especially when folks try to raise money. And they go, why do you need that much money? I'm like, here's a list. And I just get that gif with the scroll that goes like down the hall <laughs> of all the things you have to pay for. To hear more about how Tanya rose to the top of the TTRPG streaming game, and about what else she's working on, tune in next week for the Season 2 finale. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. Next time you get the chance, share this episode with your friends and family around your game table. Another great way to help me boost the show is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or rating the show on Spotify. I appreciate all of you for helping the show grow. Thank you to the team at T4C Studios for helping edit and produce this episode. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And, as always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.